Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhard, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. I'm Simpiwen Zube, and I'm a visual artist. I am Zeik Sumda. I'm a writer, a painter, and a musical composer. And of course, an academic, a, a professor emeritus of creative writing. From David's Werner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. It's a consistent and rigorous search to not question too much of what the image is, but to, to trust and believe that whatever needs to come out is what has to, to come out in the way that it decides. Distance gives you a new perspective altogether. It, it, it defamiliarizes and you begin to see the subject of your stories, you know, as a stranger would. I'm Lucas Werner. This season of Dialogues, we're inviting new hosts onto the show so we can expand not only the diversity and range of our guests, but also the subjects we tackle here. This episode, Kyla McMillan, a director at the gallery, kicks off a mini-series she's hosting on artists and creatives whose intersecting practices she is deeply interested in. I'm Kyla McMillan, director at David Zwerner and your guest host. This week's pairing, the artist Simpiwe Nzube and the writer, composer, and artist Zakes Imda. Simpiwe Nzube is an artist who makes magic realist paintings, sculptures, and installation. Born in South Africa and based between Los Angeles and Cape Town, Simpiwe explores ideas of power, conflict, tradition, and modernity in his work. His first solo exhibition at a U.S. institution titled Oracles of the Pink Universe will open soon at Denver Art Museum. Zakes was born in South Africa in 1948. He has published 22 books, including plays, poetry, and novels. His writing has garnered him international acclaim, and he served as a professor at universities in the United States and South Africa for over 40 years. Simpiwe and Zakes's work has been in conversation for some time, but they had never actually spoken until they decided to connect for this podcast. Simpiwe, let's start with you and let's start from the very beginning. Uh, where are you from and how did you become an artist? I am from South Africa. I grew up I was born in 1990 at the time when Mandela was being released in jail. And I grew up between Craydock in Eastern Cape and Cape Town, um, where I had most of my formation years in a township called Masipumelele. It's on the south of Cape Town, so towards Musenberg, Fishhook side, with, for people that don't know where that is. And I got into art ever since I was a kid. So art has always been a part of my life. 
ever since I was a kid. So I I had not gone to kindergarten, but what what would happen is that my cousins and the other students who had gone to school would come back and they would bring art materials and I, that was my introduction to art. So it would be taking their stationery and that was also through games that we played that had a lot to do with us taking seemingly desperate objects and reconverting them into toys that we could play with, which was, I think, from the beginning was quite sculptural, making wire cars. And then when I later moved to Cape Town, I was able to go to a primary school called Ukanyo Primary. It's also located in Maspumelele. And there I had a good support of teachers and, and, and then I had just continued to make art throughout high school all the way to getting to art school at the University of Cape Town at Michaelis. So lucky enough, I have been able to continue entertaining this, this, this very tricky space, but somehow I've been able to survive through. And Zakes, you are celebrated around the world for your writing as a novelist, a playwright, and a poet. But I was so interested to hear that art, particularly painting, was your first love. Can you speak a bit about your origin story and I guess what first drew you to art? Okay. (laughs) Well, with me, I came, fortunately, uh, from a very artistic family. Mostly my father at the time. He was a high school teacher and then later went to study law and and worked as as an attorney uh, in the Eastern Cape. That was his day job. But uh, on the side, he he loved to paint. Uh, But he also loved music. He was a a choral conductor and, and... orchestra conductor as well. So I grew up in that environment of of literature because even when he was a teacher, he used to be an English literature teacher. So literature, uh, painting, and of course music. So that was my early influence. And later, of course, I went to study art. Uh, my first degree, my junior degree, uh, is on painting and history of art. However, I also loved writing because I, I used to write short stories in my uh, first language, which is Isikosa. Uh, and I was first published when I was 13, a short story in the Kosa language. I continued to write in English as well after going to exile, you know, from uh, South Africa to Lesotho and then to to Europe. I thought I was going to be a painter, you know, a full-time painter, but then writing overtook painting in as far as recognition was concerned. I got recognized more as a novelist and so on and therefore focused more on writing novels. Yes, and it's true that you both studied at the same school, right? 
Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. At the University of Cape Town, Michaelis uh, campus. Yes. Um, so I want to, to speak about a lot of the overlap between the two of you as you've been moving in some of the same conversations for some time. And it's clear that there are many links and connections, which we will certainly explore deeper. But Simpiwe, I'll start with you because you have cited Zakes and his writing as a major influence for you since the beginning of your practice. Um, so what was the first book that you read and, and why did it have such an impact? So my first book that I read of uh, Bryce Lakes was in 2011. And I was introduced to the book by a friend of mine who was in African studies. And he was reading Amos Totuola at the time. So I went to go to Upper Campus to go search for, for this book. And then there at the African Studies, at the African Center or African Library, yes. Then I noticed that there was so much more literature, African literature material that I had never heard of when I was in my high school in Langa. So there in that section, immediately I noticed like Zakes Mdai and it felt very familiar, that name that I picked up. Uh, by impulse, I picked up Ways of Dying. Somehow that title just seemed to imply something I would have been interested in reading. So I took the book and I read it. And I could, I remember it was one of the first books um, I had read and never put down all the way till the end. I remember being fascinated by this journey, this beautiful story of the, the main character, the protagonist Tokoli and 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 his and his journeys through what he he had had self-appointed himself through I guess his job which was to be a professional mourner and the absurdity of that in itself for me was was so so relatable I could see immediately the the descriptions that came with how Brazex describes this character from the mental the mental psychology of of how he sees himself versus how he is projected by other people who who seem to have ideas of normalcy that for himself doesn't he doesn't see himself in that way and the descriptions the visual descriptions of 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 how he looks his smell his his stench his the way he moves through different families really created like a, a picture to me that i could literally see this person i know i knew who he is but i was i was taken always aback by how real but also how fantastical and how also slightly hard to believe that st- story <laughs> to be like that and and I thought from then on I didn't actually quite realize that it had had an impact on me the book but I remember like like the fascination the curiosity the like the engagement with the book and that that was now like uh, 11 11 years ago so I wish to revisit But that point you brought up about 
the absurdity of the <laughs> professional mourner character. I remember thinking that in consideration of the nurse character too, right? And the very inappropriate and ill-timed, unsolicited perspectives that that nurse character was already always providing. And Simpiwe, in your paintings mm. too, that absurdity is there too, you know, and the, the moments in which one bursts out with laughter come across in your work as well. I think about the imagery of tongues sticking out on canvas or even some of the more ridiculous poses that that some of the some of the characters in your work take on i think there's there's a clear influence there yes there is there is and i think i've i've also pushed it in a way that for me i think Travels between the most of the characters that I have been able to create. They travel between between characters that I make up that are informed by people I know from where I grew up, from the townships, and and it's always been the characters that had existed in the margins at the edge of society, and how we as kids growing up we engaged or or. or or chose to ridicule. And then also like being much more conscious of those figures, developing a kind of empathy towards people that were not entirely accepted, but also existed as part of it. They were also not entirely neglected too. So I think when I think of the figures that I make in my work, they are contradictory in a way that they exhibit both the extremities of how far how far bodies can can exist within and amongst an seemingly normal space so there are broken elements of that that i take and then there are other elements of 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 realities or imagined histories even that i recreate and then when the images come together they they're also things that I look at and I, I believe that I made them with seriousness. But then at the same time, I'm like, I look at them and I think, oh, wow, what does this mean? You know, but I feel something for 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 the object, for the subject or for what I've portrayed. But it's always been something that I also look at and I, I laugh at it and I wonder who who would look at it and believe that I'm trying to say any any anything truthful? And then I think also the idea of not making work for me that projects any specific any specificity to any particular moment, any particular person, but it's somehow some things are are, are given in glimpses, but not entirely all the way. I forgot my train of thought somewhere. That was quite fascinating, actually, to to hear your your creative process, your the thinking process that goes, you know, uh, behind that uh, creative uh, process. Yes, yes. Mm. Yes, Nozakes, I'm curious <laughs> to know from your unique perspective as as the writer who has mm. inspired Simpiwe in so many ways, when did you first see his work and, and what was your initial reaction? Well, uh, 
I was introduced to Simpiwa's work by a curator at, um, at a gallery in Johannesburg, a Stevenson Gallery. And the reason that she specifically wrote to me with some images, you see, of Simpiwa's work was precisely because she, she felt that there was a conversation between my writing, my novels specifically, and Simpiwa's paintings. So I was very keen then to see more of this work because I was quite fascinated by what I saw, you know, the fantastical elements, which sometimes I would think, oh, maybe this is magical realism, but it's more on the fantastical side than it is magical realism. And then I, I fell in love with that work immediately, you see. Yes, we're getting into it now because you brought yes. up, of course, uh, magic realism, which is most often used as a, a literary term, the style of fiction that is rooted in reality, but there are these fantastical elements, but it's not to be conflated with fantasy, right? Like it's very much rooted in reality. Exactly. Well, Zix, first, do you think that that term is an accurate description of your work? Well, you see, I make no judgment on that because um, I don't really care about describing my work. I would rather leave that to the critics. When I look at the characteristics of magical realism as mapped out by scholars of magical realism, yes, I can see them in my work. I can identify them in my work. So I won't quarrel if critics call, call it magical realism and so on. I don't call it anything myself except, you know, art. The categorization, that is their job. And I don't like to do their job for them. And for me, it's sources, at least on my part, comes from our own oral tradition the way our grandmothers told their stories, you know, stories that were rooted in reality, but then which all of a sudden from that context of reality, there would emerge, you know, some supernatural elements or the strange, the unusual, you know, something that defies that reality, you see. And the, the two, the supernatural, the strange, the un unusual, would exist very comfortably in the same context and as the so-called, you know, objective reality. So that's the way our stories were told and maybe are st still told, you know, uh, in, in the folklore. So my, my literature then, was much more influenced by that aspect, the stories that my grandmother used to tell us, especially in November, December, when we'd go all the way from Johannesburg, from Cape Town to the rural Eastern Cape, all the grandchildren would be there. And then of course, the grandmother would be telling us 
these stories. And these are stories that were passed from generation to generation to generation. Then in some instances, then there would be time when we would have to improvise our own stories. They call it you improvise your own story, sometimes based on the oral tradition on, you know, on the traditional stories. And that taught us to be storytellers ourselves in our own right. So I went through all that process. And then of course, writing my novels, which are literary, I use those methods of the oral tradition. Mm. I think you're bringing up a very important point in considering your writing and also Simpiwe's paintings in questioning who is applying this terminology of magical realism and from what perspective are they considering the work? And it raises questions about you as the makers of the work and your specific influences. You know, you are both in your own ways telling stories of this post-apartheid South Africa. You were both telling stories that mix narratives of, of South Africa specifically in transition and also, as you mentioned, Zake's referencing folklore. And in consideration of this magical realism, I wanted to raise the question that you, Zakes, asked so perfectly, which is what specifically is the source of your magic? So, Zakes, you have touched on that a bit, but maybe Simpiwe, you can speak about this in relation to your paintings. Um, what is the source of your magic? And maybe you can use the examples of some of the works in your upcoming show. So I, I really relate to like artistic inquiry to 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 not to never put any definitions to to what the work is and I feel I um so I come from from having started art where we were where we had to ask ourselves like what did we want to make work about and what what each line meant so I'd say the source of my magic in the work comes from a deep impulse to want to create first and foremost. And from there, it, it, within that impulse, it's a search, it's a consistent and rigorous search to not question too much of what the, what the image is, but to, to, to trust and believe that whatever needs to come out is what has to to come out in the way that it decides and from there the the flowing allowing mistakes allowing chance allowing different types of materials to kind of add to what the meanings and interpretations um could be and what the narrative, what the, what the story seems to suggest from what the image needs. So like, I think for, for, for me, that is fundamentally the source of, of the magic is the trusting in the fact that the imagination is very important. Allowing the, the thinking that operates as if it's dreams operating, collecting materials here and there, past and present, 
and then like a diviner, like a, like a healer of some kind, shake my bones that I had collected from different parts, from different parts of, of mountains and uh, rivers, shells and, and, and whatnot to, to allow all of those sources that I'd collected when I'm in the studio to say, okay, now let's see what, what, what the bones seem to suggest the problem is that needs to be solved or that needs to be given attention to. And I think that by itself for me suggests <laughs> a very strong point of, of magic as a, a, as a starting point. And Zex, what would you say the source of your magic is? Well, the source of my magic, actually, there are many different sources. First of all, as I already mentioned, the source of my magic is my grandmother and, and her stories, the stories that, that she told. So that's one of my major sources of magic. But then for me, my, my impulses do not only come from the oral traditions and so on. They also come from literary, you know, from, from, from the, the literature, from the, the comic books, for instance. I mean, as, as, as a kid, I was an ardent reader of comic books, and I continue to read and love comic books up to this day. So that's one of my important influences. You see that? And of course, other elements of nature and the place. I must not forget the place mm. because I'm highly, in, I mean, inspired by a place, any place. Mm. I see a place and I say to myself, this place is so beautiful or so ugly that it deserves a novel. So I've many novels like Sion and so on, with the heart of redness, which sprang or were, were bathed by a place, a place that I saw and it fascinated me. Then the next question is, what kind of people would live here? And what would be their issues? You know, what would be their conflicts? Because of course, conflict is the stuff of fiction, you know. Mm. And all these, of course, the answers to these questions must come from my imagination rather than from asking those people who live there, you know, who are you and what, why are you here? What are you doing? No, no, no. The place itself, you know, gives birth to that imagination. And Simpiwe, that process of sort of building from the place and then beyond, does that sound at all parallel to your process of, of building a painting? I, I don't think it is a conscious effort on my side. I think, I think as I am trying to find my voice and to locate my practice within within the world 
I have been drawing from multiple sources indeed, and definitely biographical in a way that if I think about plays, for instance, I think of having the experience of living in not necessarily the rural, but like in the urban rural township in, in the Karoo. And the experiences of the people that live there and how that landscape and its weather looked like. Then moving into, into, into Masupumelele, the township that had a massive population of people cramped up in one space and the effect that had to, to how I saw and situated myself within that community. And eventually now being able to make work in LA and having transitioned, I guess, between all these three different spaces, I see how that influence naturally is changing the work and influencing the work. I'd say with Los Angeles in itself, lighting has been so important that I see why painters, for instance, are in heaven in LA because of the the amount of light that is available throughout the year and very bright and somehow also with how the, the, the landscape is open and in industrial and how that is able to influence the artists that are making work there. And then I, I move back and I think of when I make work when I'm home here, space is always uh, negotiated again because scale, the idea of scale shifts and the idea of what's expected within the landscape at home of what a black artist, for instance, a black young artist is able to even say in the canvas and how that space in itself influences the work. Um, Simpiwe, you spoke a bit about how Los Angeles and the light there versus the light home for you in Cape Town, how that's yes. quite different. And um, Zakes, you also mentioned um, Scion, in which we see Toloki again, but this time in the United States. And so both of you have have roots now in, in both places in the U.S. and in South Africa. Simpiwe, of course, your practice is in Los Angeles and yes. Cape Town and Zakes. You have been in Ohio and in Baltimore and New Haven, too, over for over 40 years now. And so I wonder if both of you can speak a bit about how this unique perspective shift, looking at one's home from the outside, but still engaging with home through your work. How has that changed your relationship to South Africa, if at all? Well, for me, remembering that I I came here for the first time uh, 40 years ago, and I was coming from a jazz culture in South Africa both South African jazz and American jazz. And when I left South Africa 40 years ago, coming over to America, everybody envied me there. That, hey, now 
you are going to see these jazz guys that we listen to. You are going to see them live. You are going to see Charlie Parker, if, if he was still alive. I don't remember yeah, when he died exactly. Uh, John Coltrane, Eric Dolphy, Dizzy Gillis. You see, all, all the cats that we used to listen to in Johannesburg and Pretoria. Now you'll be seeing them live, you see. So I get to Ohio. My first disillusionment was that no one here in, in this town of Athens, which is a college town, even black folks had not heard of these cats that I'm talking about. You see, you listen to the radio, you hope to get some radio station that will play jazz. All you hear is country music, is bluegrass and, and stuff like that. That was my first disappointment. At home, they think I'm, I'm, I'm listening to jazz. There's no jazz here. You see, that was my first culture shock. There's no jazz in America. You see? And then I go to, to, to the cities, of course, to New York and so on. I find that, yes, jazz used to be there, or there's very little of it. A lot of it is migrating to Europe. You see, all the jazz cats are migrating. They're either playing station in Europe or they get most of their business in Europe. You see, that was one of the biggest uh, disappointments. That no, this is not the America I thought I knew. You see, when I was in South Africa. You know, a very big culture show. But what happened also was that being here gave me, especially for so many years, gave me the opportunity or was able to enrich my imagination. Because when we are in South Africa, especially, you remember, I came here during the days of apartheid. So I lived in South Africa with apartheid and its absurdities were just part of life to the extent that there was nothing absurd about it. It's only when I was at this distance and looking back, you know, to see how absurd that situation is. And also then, as I continue to write about a South Africa that was becoming more and more distant from me. Remember, it was before the days of social media, which, you know, like now, I mean, I live in South Africa, even though I'm in Ohio, because of social media, and there's that close interaction. I watch South African television right here in, in Ohio. But those days, South Africa became very, very distant because I could not interact with South Africa. And therefore, I had to use my imagination to recreate South Africa, to imagine it after 20 years since I'd left. Or So I found that actually enriched my imagination. But it also made me see South Africa for, I mean, with a fresh eye. You know, distance gives you a new perspective altogether. It, it, it defamiliarizes. And you begin to see the subject of your stories, you know, as a stranger would. 
And when you say see the subjects of your stories as a stranger would, or essentially really as a reader would in the case of, of your work, how specifically did that change the way in which you were writing? Let me give you an example of what a stranger can do or what an artist who looks at the subject as a stranger would can achieve. You see, when we are at a, we live in a particular place, we are so familiar with that place that there are so many things that we ignore, we take for granted. They don't mean anything to us anymore because these are day-to-day things. But to a stranger, they have an impact. When I, I, I wrote Scion, which is set in Southeast Ohio, it became so popular here, that novel. But what the people of Southeast Ohio always exclaimed about are that, you know, you, you write about these ordinary things, our food, how we cook it, and so on. I mean, and, and all those little things that we do. Which things, I mean, if we were writing this story, we would not have written, we would not have thought those things are, are important to write about. Because they are day-to-day things, you know, we don't see any importance in them. But then you put them in your story, and only then do we see how wonderful they are. So it's a way of, of, of making the reader rediscover the ordinary. You see, and indeed, any good writer can do that even for a place you are familiar with. You stand back and look at it as a stranger would. Only then would you be able to write a story which has an impact. The mundane, the mundane is the most powerful source of narrative. So being a distance away from South Africa, Help me, you know, to estrange the place, to see it as a stranger would. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think about that for you too, Simpiwe, not necessarily the mundane, but the familiar, including these sort of familiar objects like like the shoe or or fabrics that are frequently worn in your work to allude to home, even for somebody who may not know that that is of the place which you are from or distinctly South African? Are there, are there things about your work in the same way that Zakes has described the importance of the mundane? Are there things about your work and, and the process of making it that you feel are, are emphasized now or important for you to include given, given that distance and that understanding? I left to the United States when I was, um, I was 26. And I left following love, you know. I think of Prazex's uh, inclusion of love in the stories too. It's, it's, <laughs> love is always important in, in the story somehow. But that's, besides that, when I arrived in LA, 
firstly, I knew nothing about LA apart from the hip hop culture that we had been consuming at home, along with the the Hollywood scene. And the, the if I knew anything about art about LA was the graffiti art scene, but. That's as far as I knew, the graffiti and the cars through hip hop, you know, South LA aesthetics really much there. When I arrived there, I feel like I thought firstly that there was no art because I didn't know how to look and find it. And then as I went on to explore, I realized that there were, there was such a thriving art scene that no one at home ever speaks about. We only speak about New York. If we are talking about going to some place in America to make art. And having been in LA all this time, I'd say for me has affected firstly how I look at production. I feel like the influence of, of Hollywood in putting big production budgets to create a movie that will last an hour. But the amount of, of, of debris, the amount of material that these industries are using to get good quality production has definitely been something that I have been really much been aware of. And sometimes I would go to where those, where they, where, where they, they, they throw away movie-related sets or stage sets. So definitely, I'd say, so the quality of production to invest in, the quality of the paints I was using, going a little bit into scale, thinking about the canvases as if it's like a movie project uh, and the format as if it's film. Somehow that wasn't by my intention, but the scale because of space did definitely happen naturally along with that. But the most important thing for me, I'd say, has been there's no specific... And I I don't think there's been a specific identity to what art that comes out of LA has been about, either than seeing that there's been such a huge amalgamation of experimental and an openness to to make work, to still be idea orientated, but work somehow needing to exist, needing to come by. And I remember when I came across the work of Noah Purifoy, exploring LA, going into, into, into Watts and seeing the Watts Towers, seeing what the center um, there was doing, and then learning about, about a whole new history of Black American artists from Los Angeles who had had such an impact in that space. Definitely was something that I was like, okay, I need to know. I need to go to see Noah Purifoy Museum in the desert and see how those works are aging. And that also opening up in ways in which I could imagine beyond things I was looking at back home. Uh, bear in mind that like when I left South Africa, I left from art school. At art school, we were making, I had found myself being positioned in 
a space that I felt uncomfortable to speak from because it was such an intense time of hashtag fees must fall as students we are actively engaged in in those conversations of decolonial education because we had felt that these universities in South Africa were not were not giving us uh, they were not teaching us materials that we thought were off where they are based and and I know with my arts education a lot of our discourse material had a lot of structuring around conversations that were happening in America, in the West. So at some point, the movement was really incredibly important in the dialogues that we were able to establish. But later we started getting even much more involved in having our work participate in the dialogues and things got a little bit tricky for me because I, I felt that with performance and theater, you could interpret this in a beautiful way that was also permanent, but also could dissolve into a statement that is felt at that time and the immediacy is, is, and then it goes. But somehow with a painter sitting in the studio bringing all the ideologies of 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 a movement of a very intense time felt a little bit too much to allow a space for freedom so i feel like when i left home i was able to breathe a little bit away but somehow held on to the conversations along with my peers and friends at home. So the work ended up having a space to breathe, a freedom to, 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 to allow uncertainty, to not be making work about what it is to, to be Black in South Africa right now, which I felt at the time was exactly what we wanted to say. We wanted the work to, to change the, the systemic structure that we had been critiquing or feeling, and we wanted the change to come now. And I feel like with, with making works of art, or with making, at least for me, with painting, it was much more of a cerebral process than bringing actual physical change right now. So... So then being, being away from home, reflecting on those ideas, allowing the work to breathe, and then coming back home and feeling like I have a little bit of something to learn again, but also to offer to my friends and say, you know, you could also allow the work to breathe and, and look at things and experiment, and it's okay. No, I love that. Well, thank you, Zix. Imdan, Simpiwe and Zube for joining us on Dialogues. It's been great to speak with you both. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It, it was my pleasure. Thank you, Kyla. Appreciate it. It's been beautiful. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswerner.com slash dialogues. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. 
I'm Lucas Werner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.